As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to I'm Not Steve Kerr on the Believe Podcast Network. Now here are your hosts, the Resh Brothers. Colin and Scott. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. Welcome back, everyone. This week's guest and I have known each other for years. At one point, he was an analyst for the Raiders postgame show that I produced at KPIX. That's the CBS affiliate in San Francisco. Then in recent years, he was my go-to interview for anything NFL or silver and black related when I was a sole sports reporter at NBC Bay Area. He, you can see him right here if you're watching us on YouTube, is College Football Hall of Famer, three-time NFL Pro Bowler, Lincoln Kennedy. Link, welcome to episode 12 of I'm Not Steve Kerr, man. You just reminded me I'm still waiting for those checks from all that work that we did together. What happened? Hey, you got to talk to CBS Viacom. and all. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I know, man. Right, okay. I know. W- wouldn't you get them like six months later? I, w- I would always hear from guests like, hey, where's my money? I'm like, yes. what? Yeah, they haven't paid still you waiting. Yet? It's been like many years. I'm still waiting. Yeah, oh exactly. Oh, my God. That, that, that doesn't surprise <laughs> Good to be with you, though. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, so, Link, <laughs> are you in Scottsdale? Are you your place in Scottsdale? No, actually, I live in Mesa. Uh, Mesa. I've been in Mesa. Phoenix Sorry. for, yeah, from 16 years, and yeah, yeah, that's I, right. I own a house in Mesa. Yeah, That's right. Mm-hmm. So, you're in Mesa, Arizona. I'm up at my place near Yosemite in uh, Mariposa, California. Scott's in Park City, Utah. Uh, Scott, happy birthday. Scott, uh turned and Thanks, i'm gonna bro. make this for raider fans uh i'm gonna relate it to him he turned todd christensen yesterday oh there, <laughs> yeah, you, there go. you go nice yeah. i like that good legend, happy birthday uh, scott t- right? thank you <laughs> todd christensen how good was he link oh he was good he was may rest in peace uh, you yeah. know one of the the legends in the silver and black and um one of the sort of the pioneers as far as tight ends go because he did well both catching the ball as well as run blocking and you know as an offensive lineman I respect that to hell and you have so much in common with him really because he went into broadcasting and called NFL I loved him as a broadcaster as a color commentator Um, did you have conversations I'm kind of going off on a tangent here did you have conversations with him years ago when you were getting into broadcasting 
No, you know, we never talked about that because really? when we got together on a various alumni trips, we were always talking about the Raiders and stuff like that. So we never talked about that. And besides, with me and broadcasting, I didn't know how involved I was going to be in it uh, or how deep I was going to take it. So I had other ventures going on, and we discussed that as well. Well, Scott, you know, and you have a lot in common, a lot more than you and I do, just simply because of where you went. Scott, can you hold up your sweatshirt? It's it's below the, the video right now. So couple 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 dogs on the pod tonight. Dogs. That's right. Woof. Well you guys you guys are you guys have been brought into my man cave and I will show you real quick my wall of fame. You see, dogs. dogs. Oh yeah. Woof. <laughs> Love it. So Wish I had go. a wall like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a sweet room, Link. That's a sweet room. Yeah, hey, we're going to have man. some fun today. I uh, want to talk about your journey, of course, you know, but from player to broadcaster. Uh, Raiders, of course, you're the color commentator on the radio side for the silver and black next to Brent Musburger these days. Want to talk NFL playoffs yeah. with you. AFC and NFC title games are this Sunday. Uh, but, yeah, let's start college days. So many of our friends are Huskies. Scott and I grew up going to Husky football and and basketball games, and uh, Scott got to UW, but what, in 93, right as you were leaving, Link, yeah. but man, the heydays, yeah. we, we went to those games in 91, I think I went to the Toledo game, where you shut them out, wow. um, and <laughs> the memories to us are still fresh, but for you, geez, I, I wonder, they, you, do you still think about those days? I do, you know, the thing is, with, um, with me in professional sport, me in sports in general, I remember my first time out. I remember my last time. Everything else is kind of garbled up inside. So as far as my Husky days, I remember my very first start because it was it was in uh, against USC in 90 when we beat them 31 to nothing. Mm -hmm. And then I remember my last Rose Bowl because I remember Tyrone Wheatley running all over us and we had a chance. So we, we had a chance at a second national title. Yeah, but we came up short. So everything else in between was just, you know, sort of a glory heyday, if you know what I mean. And the end there of Don James's uh, storied career. What was that like? Yes. Being uh, being part of that, you know, his last game, your last game in a Husky uniform. It was it was somewhat frustrating. I had the greatest time with Coach James May, rest in peace, because he was a great mentor towards me. But what was frustrating is that he was blamed for what happened amongst the players. I think if you remember back then when we went on probation, it was Billy Joe Holbert who accepted a, a yeah. payment. Yeah. Um, it didn't have anything to do with football, but because of the time, the NC2A, um, the story got back to me that Barbara Hedges, the then uh, um, athletic director, yeah. had said either you forfeit some wins or you step down. And Coach James, uh, with all the integrity and respect that he had, he just said, you know what, we're not going to forfeit anything. We, wor we worked hard for that. I'll walk away. So um, it was unfortunate. And for, for a while, I had a lot of disdain towards Barbara Hedges for forcing him into that decision. But at the same point, years after when I ran into Coach James, I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with him at a golf tournament. Him and Mrs. James, Carol James, were extremely happy with the decision they made. They had more time to spend together, and he lived a long time after that, so that was good. Mm -hmm. Memories-wise, you said the first and the last. Any, anything else sort of when you when you think back to those days come to mind? Uh, could even be from, say, a, a – a, you know, situation in practice or, you know, something maybe off the radar that uh, 
that kind of comes to mind or, or doesn't I involve the, year, the Rose Bowl trophy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, well, when you think about the year before we won a national championship in 1990, we were riding high. And matter of fact, a lot of people had considered us after we won over USC that considered us to be, you know, national championship caliber. We were ranked. We, we ended up being ranked in the top five uh, that year. And more importantly, we were we started. The reason why I tell the story is because I felt at the time we were what we called scoreboard watching. Virginia and Colorado were in the same boat as us, and they had won. They won, and they ended up winning the co-national championship that year. But we were up there, and we lost to a UCLA game, a UCLA team in Seattle um, that we should have beat because we were looking at the scoreboard when they were announcing who had won back east. So those types of memories are sticking in your head because you just wonder what could have been if we were taking care of business the way we did in 1991. Was that a Troy Aikman team, or would he have been before that? UCLA. Good question. I don't Can't remember. I don't remember either. I don't remember who was a quarterback. All I remember is uh, actually, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who was a quarterback then. Yeah. Um, what would you have given to have a college football playoff? <laughs> like they yeah. have now back then you go right. on to share the national title with the Miami hurricanes. I just remember as a kid and I'm sure Colin was the same yeah. being so frustrated by that. And, yeah. and even the, the few years before that, where it, uh, it happened uh, the first time with BYU and Washington sharing the title, uh, uh, in the Steve Pelour days, but um, yeah, what would you have given for something like what they have set up now? Well, well they always say hindsight is 2020, right? I remember those days because coach James, never talked about a national presence. Our goal and everything he addressed in team meetings during that time was win the Pac-10, go to the Rose Bowl, win the Rose Bowl. That's it. Mm. Um, so, you know, we never thought about it on a national scale. However, I will say this. After that 91 Rose Bowl, uh, or that first Rose Bowl against Michigan, um, we, we were in staying in Anaheim at the Anaheim Marriott. We had that little, if you, if you know, familiar with it, there's a little annex that's right next, looks like a tall apartment building. That was all Huskies. That was all us. I remember us partying like 1999 mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> after meeting Michigan and why, and everybody had ESPN on their, on their um, uh, TV screen in the hotel. And when ESPN had announced we got a share of the national title, we were elated. I was yeah. one of them screaming off, yeah, we did it, we did it, national champions. And then the debate became, mm -hmm. you or Miami, whomever. And so naturally, as an athlete, we're like, look, let's play. Where do you yeah. want to go? Any play, anytime, any place, let's go. So long story short, to answer your question, we would have given our right arm as a chance to, to play. We'd have been happy to play. Um, but no one at the time really understood how it could work, whether a college football player would ever be. And so here we are right now, fast forwarding. And again, it's still not enough. It's still, to me, not up to par the way it should be. Yeah, it just would have been so awesome to see what were clearly the two best teams in the country do it on the field, you know, go at each other on the field. Um, and that's, that's uh, <laughs> I think that was what was such the bummer for everybody that uh, were, was interested in it. But wasn't it the following year, or maybe I'm, I'm off by a year, that you guys went down to Miami and beat them there? And it was kind it was of mentioned year. like... You're off by a couple years. Two, yeah. Was it two years by a couple after? Years. Yeah, but I was already gone. So okay, the, the yeah. whammy in Miami or something like that, Napoleon yeah. Kaufman was the star running back. Right. I recruited right. Napoleon, so I know we played together, but I wasn't on that team. I'd already left. But I remember there was the talk of, okay, they finally played, and see, we went down and we beat them on their home turf. Like, yeah. you know, different teams. end the conversation different teams 
Yeah. Can't compare it. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, man, so many good times at UW, and when we were there, uh, our, our one of our favorite teriyaki places. I remember I've brought this up to you before, Lincoln. Nasai Teriyaki. They had the the article yes. from what was the pa- the Daily or whatever, right? UW paper. I think they did whatever an article about yeah, how much you paper. ate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how much did you eat, like yeah. at, you know sitting what? at Nasai that was, Teriyaki? That was, be honest. Yeah, the, the, be honest. That was greatly exaggerated because <laughs> I had the thing was. I was a big man, obviously, I was, I was a big man. But when I would go in there, I would order just the same thing. I would order a, a teriyaki chicken or the teriyaki beef bowl. And you remember, Colin, all the rice that came with that? Yeah. Well, it was very filling. Yeah. <laughs> so I could never, even in one sitting, I could never finish that whole plate. I would have to take some home. But what people were wild because when they came in there and saw me, the first time, they're like, oh, my gosh, how much does he eat? How much does he eat? <laughs> they want to put you out of business. And, I, you know, I've never said, you know, said anything about it. It's like it is what it is. So I went about my business. But people accused me or assumed that I was eating that place out. And I could never finish one of those things. It was great for a college student because didn't have money. You could get full off of $5 and even yeah. have something for dinner. That right. was a beautiful thing back then. Yeah. <laughs> so this you're saying fake news, the daily fake news. It's fake news. Yeah. Even even the whole sausage thing. Even the whole oh, sausage thing. That's what I was about to ask you about. <laughs> well, I did eat I did eat eleven sausages in, in, in an hour. I did eat it because they had a rule. If you eat eat a, you break the record, you don't have to pay. Right. And by the time Supelli and I got into the record, we were looking where we were. Supelli tapped out. He's like, I can't do it anymore. I think it was four or five. And I looked in my pockets like I ain't got enough money to spend. And they're like this, and I didn't want to get in trouble. So I had to finish it off. But to this day, I haven't touched a brat since. So oh, wow. <laughs> talk about after effects. Now, did you, exactly. was the record 10 and you got to 11 or did, or was yes. it like six and you just that kept going? No, the record was 10 and I had to get to 11. And I had, okay. a, when I went and looked in the bathroom, it looked like I had sausages in my eyes because I was so, <laughs> Hey, well, everyone knows you as a Raider, right? Those were uh, your best yeah. years uh, in the NFL. Certainly. You made a Super Bowl appearance, uh, but you were drafted in 1993, ninth overall by the Atlanta Falcons. So speaking of the Falcons, we have video, Lincoln, I shared this with you last week, in action as a Falcon. Check it out, everybody. You know, we got over 30,000 people going to school here in this little area. That's a lot of cars. We got a lot of parking problems. You know, parking laws are strictly enforced in the U District. We got a lot of problems. Like that right over there. Hold on. Look at, look at that. Hey, hey, what are you doing here? This is a load zone. You got to move this car. Look, look, I'm almost finished. I'll be right over No, here. no, you're in violation. What's your name, mister? Um, um, Lincoln Kennedy. Wait a minute, Lincoln Kennedy? Of the Huskies? Yeah. Well, look, could you get me some Rose Bowl tickets? Look, I got drafted by the Falcons. I don't play with the Huskies anymore. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, could you get me some tickets to a Falcons game? Uh, no, I don't think so. Look, I tell you what, if you let me go, I'll get you some tickets to Seahawks. <laughs> uh, never mind. Just move the car. Nice. <laughs> Oh, what a show. Almost live. What a show. Wow. My memories. A lot of great memories. A lot of great memories. Yeah. You, you took drama at UW or what? How did you get into this? So, so originally I went to UW because I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, but when it came to, um, my law classes, the poli sci classes, they were offered in the afternoon. So once I put in for my, uh, my major, I had to sit down with John James and I said, coach James, you know, um, the classes that are supporting my major are in the afternoon. 
And he was like, well, you're here to play football. You have to figure that out. So I had to drop that. And I was up against the wall. Um, I tried to get into communication school. And at the first, and I couldn't in because I had missed the, the, the cutoff time. So I had to decide a major. So I chose drama just to get something, be able to get under the belt. And, and, and also a way for me to escape football, uh, get off of mind football, because I was never that type of into it like a lot of, you know, uh, jockheads are. So this is a way to get, get involved in a major quickly and so I could stay on track to graduate. Well, they don't let, I should say, Lincoln, they don't let anybody in the UW communications program. I, I mean, yes, I know. Yes. I, I know. know because I, know. That's why I, I got in. in. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly they do let anybody in is what I'm saying. <laughs> How did you get uh, the almost live spot? Did Who contacted? Do you remember how that came about? I don't remember. I don't remember how they came about. I did a couple of them with almost live. Did you? I did a couple. I did the one where, yeah, I did the one where I lifted the lady over my head. Um, um, goodness gracious. I, yeah, there's, I, I did a few. I did a few of Almost Live. Uh, I, I don't remember who contacted me. I know they contacted me directly. Um, I will say this. This is a real quick story. But, so um, what was the, the really tall Randy Johnson? Randy, Randy, Randy Johnson. Yeah, Mariners. The Mariners. Yeah, yes. Randy Johnson. Yep. Yep. So back in our glory days in UW, um, we were we felt in Seattle, you know, it's a great sports town. We were more popular than a professional sport. So that yeah, story about sure. the Seahawks was true, you know. So okay, so one time I'm going over to, to tape almost live, and Randy Johnson gets out of a hatchback, a Honda Accord, and he unfolds himself. You know how tall he's six <laughs> nine, but yeah. he got out of a Honda Accord right in front of me. And what stood out is because when he stood up, I really didn't know who he was. I knew he was a pitcher, but I didn't know who he was. But when he stood up, I could feel for him because I've had to fit in small cars. I'm six seven. Randy Johnson's taller than me. Mm -hmm. So I looked up and I was like, okay, that's very impressive. And that's what I remember about Almost Live. We were taping down next to the Space Needle, and he was going in there to tape uh, something with the news afterwards. And uh, then I remember because we crossed paths and, showed, and shared that story years afterwards when we <laughs> kind of figured out who each other was. Well, uh, then we all then we have something else in common too, Lincoln. Um, years ago, uh, well, obviously, but uh, it would have been when we were might have still been in high school, Colin. Remember when we were uh, parking attendants at the oh, state yeah. fairgrounds? Yeah. Randy Johnson pulled up to my section, and he and like you said, Lincoln, he unfolds yeah. out of his car. And it's the only time in my life that I've ever asked someone for an autograph. And I don't, I think it's long gone, but I, I must've had like a, a notebook or something in my pocket. And I just went right up to him. I mean, he parked, you know, five feet away from where I was standing. And I said, Hey, Mr. Johnson, can you sign this for me? And that's, uh, I'll, never, I'll never forget that, that moment. I'm like, world. this is really weird. Small world. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He rolled up to the Evergreen <laughs> the big, State Fair, the Monroe Fairgrounds. Right. Totally random. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, other acting. Dude, you've done some some other stuff over the years. Uh, two and a Half Men. Uh, was that Charlie Sheen pre-crazy or was in the middle? I can't remember the timing. Yeah, it was pre-crazy. But you know what? Okay. The great thing I respect about Charlie Sheen is that um, he, he, he knows a whole hell of a lot of, about sports. So mm -hmm. off the set, we were talking about sports because by then I was already in radio covering all the sports. So he's a big baseball fan. Uh, and so we yeah. talked about his major role in major league, league yeah. and we talked about a couple other things. Absolutely. So he, great guy, great guy. Do you like acting? I mean, obviously you had to have liked it, but I mean, did you, it was there a point in time when you thought maybe I can end up doing a, a lot of this or 
you knew it was yes, just it a little was. side I mean, thing tried, for fun. I, no, no, it was something because after football, I had no idea what I was going to get into. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Los Angeles, I was working for the NFL Network. That was the first the thing I did after I retired. Uh, it was out of Culver City. I had auditions uh, for certain things, and I ran into producers. Um, that's how I got on Two and a Half Man. Chuck Laurie and I played poker against one another, and he thought I'd be okay for a role. So that's how I got that uh, got that gig. It's also how I got a cameo in um, in uh, the Marine. Uh, because uh, one of the one of the producers I played uh, uh, poker against and with, and he was like, "You'd be great for a scene in this." So we did that. But the big thing was is I I started learning very early because of my size. I'd be typecasted because people in Hollywood aren't my size. So yeah. you were either playing a bouncer, which is not you know, or there's nothing wrong with that, or security. But none of the roles that you can you know I would take somewhat serious were out of proportion because actresses and actors are half my size so yeah it would have been difficult more more money to cut you know how it goes colin and so it is what it is right right but yeah yeah, those directors don't want you making tom cruise look like a midget and he is (laughs) but but he he is is. so and and that and his you know his arrogance his conceit is bigger than me um so it it it, it wouldn't gel it wouldn't do right Well, you, you got out. You got out of the NFL. You've done done a little bit of acting here and there, but your broadcasting is your thing. Tell everyone what you've got going on on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, because you're now with the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and even when I had you on shows, you you know you're constantly flying in and out, or at least of the Bay Area at that time. Now you're going to Vegas a lot. But w- what's going on with Lincoln Kennedy's life? Because you're as busy as ever, right? Well, well, I slowed down. Um, <laughs> a whole lot. Um, right now, I'm, I'm a full-time father. I've got three teenagers at home, well, um, 14, 14, and, and 12. I've got a, a high school or a junior high and an elementary school, two sons and a daughter. Um, so I've slowed down considerably. But during the season, um, I was working radio, TV, everything I could with Raiders in Las Vegas. I've got one primary gig right now, and that's the one that I do with Fox Sports Radio. Right. Anthony Gargano called right. the fellas. Um, 6 to 10 um, a.m. from um, uh, Eastern Standard Time uh, every Saturday. That's the one main gig. Other than that, um, I'm a restaurant owner. I just opened up a restaurant in Las Vegas called Angry Crab Shack. I've got two here in Phoenix. Um, I have a cigar line, LK Cigars. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Um, What else is there? Um, I'm always looking for new ventures and new opportunities. Broadcasting opened up the relationships that have created the entrepreneurship that I have today. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, but more importantly, I'm just trying to live life and, and love life with my kids. How did you get into the cigar business? Well, I don't like to admit, but I've been smoking cigars longer than I want to admit. So let's just leave it there. Um, after I retired, I took a, I wanted to travel. So I traveled basically around the world, nonetheless, experimenting with tobacco. Um, love cigars, always love cigars. And found out different variations, different kinds of cigars. Um, so it was something that I just wanted to do. And then one of my friends said, look, man, you smoke so much. Why are you buying them? Why don't you just make some? And I'm like, it's not a bad idea. So I, I started working with a couple of what we call blenders. I found a, a, a blend that I enjoy thoroughly. I created a patent or got a patent about it, created a couple blends around that. It is my signature blend that I own the rights to. And I started making cigars and passing them out to my friends and people, word of mouth, it caught wind, caught fire. Where do we get these cigars? What's the... Uh... You can find them, yeah, yeah, you can find them elkcigars.com. That's el-kcigars.com. 
Um, or you can go them. I've got a social media presence at you know LK Cigars on Instagram and stuff like that. But cool. it's word of mouth. We're, we're we're very boutiqueish. I don't believe in a lot of surplus. So for example, Scott, if you call me and say, Hey Lincoln, I want a, a box of your barber poles, um, I would explain the difference, or one of my representatives explain the difference of what we got going on, and we're rolling your stuff right now because my tobacco has to age and cure. Um, I, it's it's a lot of technical terms, but it's a it's a better smoke if if the tobacco is aged. Nice. Well, I look forward to that conversation, Lincoln. There you go, brother. Small world. <laughs> yeah. How about we talk some NFL playoffs? Let's let's, let's do it. Switch let's do gears. It. Uh, so championship Sunday coming up. You've got Rodgers versus Brady. Uh, Antonio Brown. So let's start NFC. Antonio Brown just read today. He's out. Um, obviously, he's become kind of a go-to guy for Brady. They're playing up in up in Green Bay. So let's start there, Lincoln. How do you see that one playing out? Is Brady going back to another Super Bowl, or is this Rodgers' time to get back? The short answer is yes, and the reason why is not because of Brady's play. It's going to be because of that defense. Um, Brady's not intimidated by the cold, obviously, playing in New England. So this is going to be a – to me, this is a game between Aaron Rodgers versus the Buccaneers' defense. And I will say this. The way the Buccaneers played last week against the Saints, they played with an attitude. And any team that has played defensive-wise that have played with an attitude against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers has won, i.e. last year, San Francisco, their defense. So I think, the, I think the Buccaneers win this one, and it ends up being the first team in NFL history to host the Super Bowl in their own stadium. Wow. That would be something. To play devil's advocate now, on the other side, you've got a Packers team that I read Aaron Donald had zero pass w- – pass rush wins in the entire game. Now, obviously, they lost Bakhtiari. How are the Packers able to do that, and can they do it again if they're able to? Uh, wouldn't that put them in a p- pretty good position to win? Well, it would, but the Aaron, Ro- I mean, Aaron Donald had a messed up rib. He wasn't himself. True. That's true, why he couldn't play 100%. True. That's what happened. Yeah, they uh, they kept him so clean. I couldn't believe it coming off the week before where Seattle just was yeah. bulldozed. Absolutely yeah, bulldozed no by that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in that injury, I, I, right when it happened, I said to my son as we're watching the game, I said, I think he just broke a rib or, or something because yes. the weight of it, it was how Wilson landed on Russell his Wilson. own arm yep. crushed his rib. And I saw it right away. I was like, dude, and then he just kind of winced. and like, that That looks like a rib to me. Um, let's talk AFC. Yeah, my first then. year, my first oh, year in Atlanta, I had a hairline fracture. No, I was saying my first year in Atlanta, I had a hairline fracture and something similar to that would practice. So I know what happened when it happened. I knew exactly what it was. So how painful is that injury then? <laughs> Very painful. It's a pain yeah. in the ass. A rib injury, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't mm-hmm. sleep. You can't walk. You can barely breathe. Um, it, it, is, it is very painful. You can shoot it up and play, but you're obviously not as effective as you normally be with 100%. I've never done anything with the rib. I, you know, you hear about it, but so the breathing is really painful, right? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly right as well. Until you get a shot up to take the pain away. Uh-huh. AFC, um, I know Mahomes practiced again yesterday. I'm guessing he's going to be a go. Chiefs, Bills. Man, uh, Josh Allen's kind of taking the league by storm this year, kind of firing on all cylinders. Can the Bills go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs with Mahomes playing? I know they can if he's not, but no. with him playing. No. <laughs> no. Look, I'm short and sweet. I'm short and sweet when it comes to analytics. Without Patrick Mahomes, they can't they can't beat the Chiefs. Right. With Patrick Mahomes, they're going. I mean, I mean, other way. Yeah. Kansas City wins if they have Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Kansas City loses if they don't. It's that simple. That simple. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we all know that Aaron Rodgers is probably going to get the MVP, but we also all know that Patrick Mahomes is the best player on the planet. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. But you know, here's the thing: um, Patrick Mahomes is going to be around for a long time and win a bunch more a bunch more MVP trophies. So <laughs> he's not going yeah. anywhere. You can do yeah. it out this one. I wanted to ask you, Lincoln, you know, in the last, I mean, obviously the game has changed a lot from the time that you grew up playing it to where it is now. To what degree do you think it's changed for offensive linemen over, say, the last, you know, 20, 30 years? Because of the lack of development, the the rules in college, and sort of a lot of things that are even happening on a high school level, technique leaves a lot to be desired. And when you talk about, in my opinion, a lot of the pro offensive linemen, aren't really offensive linemen. They don't know how to block, let alone mm. get into a three-point stance. So this is a bigger conversation that we don't have time for. But I will right. certainly say the, the, the desire to block someone on the National Football League level is leaves a lot to be desired. And the fact that you're, you're, the technique is falling by the wayside, these expensive quarterbacks are going to get hurt if they don't change up the way that they're doing things right now as far as preparing uh, guys to protect them. So if you were to drop in – Lincoln Kennedy in his prime with the Raiders to an NFL team right now. Are you just far and away the best offensive lineman on your team or in the league because of the skills that you no. possess? You say that's harder for these guys now. Well, I mean, you look at somebody like a Taylor Lewan or the guys mm-hmm. that come to mind, and I'm drawing a blank because I don't have them right in front of me. But if you look at guys like that, um, they've developed into that dominant. Uh, a Matt Whitworth out of a Whitworth out of uh, he's playing with the Rams developed yeah. into that dominance wasn't there as a as a rookie it, it, it took time but look how much time was wasted and how many times you know how much they could have been if they were that as good as they are right now back then that's mm. the thing so for example I came in the league with Willie Rofe and and Willie yeah. was the eighth overall pick to New Orleans I was the ninth overall pick it was a coin flip to a lot of people whether or not you know who's who is better you know. Um, but we both made all rookie team. You know, we both had all pros all, all tied to our name. So we both were good. And a lot of people thought we were ahead of our time. It's, it's all up to judgment. But when you look at some of the guys these days, they don't block. They just get in the way. And there's a difference there. I wonder if that explains Damian Lewis's success this year with Seattle at right guard. A rookie played every game, started every game for the Seahawks. And um, I think he was out of, out of, was he out of Tennessee or LSU, Colin? Um, but but I'm wondering, you know, is is he that player that came in and had technique, you know, was coached well, um, you know, before being drafted and, and was able to therefore step in and, and do the job that he did this year? It's not as though it's not as though that they're they're ill ill prepared. It's about mentally uh, mental attitude. To me, offensive linemen is a demeanor that you want to do. You want to kill the guy across from you. You want to protect your quarterback or you have the ball carrier with all of everything that you have. That was my mentality. When I took the line, went down and got in a stance, I looked at my responsibility and said, you're not beating me. You're not getting to the ball. And I did that every play. Even whether or not they – now you got to take in consideration. The guys on the other side get paid too, so you're going to get beat. But you had rules to live by. One of my main rules is never get beat by the same move twice. So it's all about attitude and demeanor. Wow, that's interesting. So more than anything, when you when you look at all the sort of factors at play that go into becoming a great offensive lineman, it's not necessarily, you know, the scheme that you're in, the 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 type of uh, you know technique that you bring. It's mentality. It's 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 wanting to it's wanting to win every battle when you um, get to on the a professional scrimmage. level. 
on a professional yeah. level, it's 90% mental. Wow. It's 90% mental because it's also all about demeanor, attitude, desire. That's all in here and in here. That's nothing you can coach. It either is there or you want to bring it out or it's not. I lick, I put up uh, that question on Twitter last night, and I know you responded to me. So I got, I got a, a cool feedback from a guy that I grew up with. Uh, Scott and I grew up in Fife, which is near Tacoma, and he had a couple questions, and I think they're both really good ones. The first one is um, – a question about the UW offensive line going into next season because there's a, a kid from Fife who's one of their best offensive linemen, uh, Alumu Ale. Uh, what do you what do you yeah. know about their offensive line going into next season for for the dogs? Well, I've heard about the the, the tout and people talking about them, but the offensive line play is better the more consistent that together you are. Mm -hmm. So you got to see your performer as a unit. It's not just you just pick one guy and say, oh, he's the best. It's got to be all five guys working as one in order to do the job. So. It, to me, a lot of things when you talk about players and how they fit in and what they're going to do, one is the scheme, the system, two is who is playing around them, and three is how effective they are individually and collectively. It's hard to make an assignment, assessment of just one individual and what they'll do and how they're great, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So this guy's name is Brian Minish, a guy I grew up with. His second mm -hmm. one, and, and we're going to talk Seahawks a little here, but it's Raider related. Um, do you think, he says, do you think Kirby Wilson would be a good fit to be uh, offensive coordinator for the Seahawks? Well, again, we're going back. Sorry about a lost picture there, but we're, we're going back to the fact where um, you're, you, you have to, it's a wait and see game. I've always believed when it, when it came to sports, no matter how much you project or look forward to someone, you'll never know until you see what they can do. And you never know how good you are until you play against someone else. So you can have the greatest offensive mind in the world that I, but if it doesn't work against anyone else, where do you go with that? <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a wait and see game. And I'm not saying that to escape the question, but I have to be true to my voice. I've always made, the, I've always made my analysis after I've watched somebody do their job and do their thing with their team. And when you come back and ask that question, so tell your buddy to ask me, you know, ask me this time next year and I'll be able to give a better assessment of what I saw as a performance wise. Do you know Kirby very well as, as, as the running backs coach there with the Raiders? Do you know him no. very well? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know him very well. I only know him by reputation. So I'm going to watch what he does with this team uh, and how he does with his guys. Because this year, you know, Josh Jacobs is a good young back, and I think he'll be good for a long time. And I like what they did. But the I was really disappointed in the predictability of the run game. Uh, and Josh Jacobs is slowly becoming an all-around back, much like I had with Charlie Garner. Mm -hmm. um, he's able to catch out of the backfield, but the injuries have riddled him because he's still learning how to be a pro. The injuries have affected him uh, one way or the other. And of course he's young, so he'll be better next year than he was this year. And I think he'll be, a, you know, as far as the scheme, if they keep it consistent, he'll be a running back, a good running back for a long time. A couple minutes left here. Tom Flores, I know you're making a really big push for him to get into the hall of fame long overdue. Um, I've been a, you know, a, enough, Super Bowls over the years and been around, you know, the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've been there in person when they happen. Why isn't he in, Link? Why Why is this still a, a, a conversation with him? A good friend of mine, uh, may also well rest in peace, the late, great Willie Brown, once told me when we were discussing that we thought Raiders who should be in, like Cliff Branch, Co mm -hmm. Coach Flores, and so many more, um, why aren't they in? Um, Willie Brown had mentioned, you know, we've got too many Raiders in, in the Hall of Fame, as he said. They think we're too many, so they're mm. trying to let the other teams catch up. And that's sort of a, a sort of a comical answer to what, what the question was. But for the right. most part, I can't answer why. Um, all I can assume is this, is that, you know, 
The Hall of Fame is a museum that needs to make money. Uh, and people who are going to the Hall of Fame these days are a couple generations younger. A lot of them might not know who Tom Flores is. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a detriment to, to the history of the game. But I've seen other coaches recently go in that I thought should have been, and Tom Flores should have been in long before because they used them. Even John Madden. You know, you talk about the win percentage and you know how much, how many, uh, the, the Super Bowl that John Madden won. Well, very similar for Tom Flores, being a pioneer and doing it as well. But it's also about who's going to sell tickets. So you have to take in consideration. But to me, Coach Flores gets in this year, or I personally will go down to Kenton and handle it. And no one wants that based on uh, <laughs> your past. Based and, on the uh... stories, yeah, exactly right. See, don't want that. Don't want the, don't want the big man angry. <laughs> Scott, Reference... you got one more for Lincoln. we got about a minute well... and a half. Well, obviously, reference there to the uh, to the incident at uh, Miles High Stadium with the snowballs. Yeah. Um, Don't throw snowballs at me. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> we will not. Um, yeah, I guess the the last question I sort of have for you, Lincoln, is is do you still keep in touch with uh, any of the guys in the team um, uh, back in the early '90s, the, the the Husky National Championship squad, and um, and how often? You know, you know, guys are, we're, we're, it's a constant fraternity if you like somebody, right? So yeah. you don't necessarily have to keep them daily or yeah. weekly or monthly touch. But when you cross paths, hey, man, it's so good to yeah. see you. You know, somebody yeah. like talk about your kids. That's how the relationships have with the guys that I remember from college and pro and even high school. So, you know, when I see them, it's all joy and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not the type of guy who picks up the phone and is going to talk to another guy for an hour. I'm, right. the, I'm the type of guy who say, hey, man, what you doing? Okay, we're going to have a barbecue Sunday. You coming through? Yeah, okay, that's it. Bye. <laughs> that's that's my phone call. And if you see him, you see him. You don't, they'll see you when I see you. It's like that. Well, that would be one hell of a barbecue. Yeah, it would be a hell of a barbecue. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we like to keep this short and sweet. This is, this is it, Link. Thanks for joining us, man. This has been a, a nice trip down memory lane. Always great catching up with you, and hopefully we can uh, see each other in person here again soon. Well, uh, Great guys, meeting really you, thank you for having me. Have fun. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to meet you too, Scott Collin. You and I go back. Let me know anything you need, man. It's been fun. Sounds good. Awesome. All right, bro. Go Take dogs. care, man. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>